wonderful thing to hear the happy conversations going on between services. It's always, it's always with mixed feelings that I'm sure Brother Jonathan, and I know it because I know it right now, has to get up and interrupt that to get us going into our next service. Because that's part of the reason we're here, brethren. The passage I opened up with, if you would turn back to that, Ephesians chapter 4. I'd like us to take us down to the next couple of verses. As we open up our second service. Because what I'm just saying, what you were just doing, is a fulfillment of what our job is. I opened up talking about what is a church. What are we here for? The different things that we do. In particular, the first few verses we talked about is what's the ministry for? Why do we have a pastor? And we covered some of that. Now, starting at verse 14, after it's talked about that role of the minister and what his duty is to us, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Part of the goal of the ministry is to make us mature. So we're not kids, right? We want to be mature believers, stable, not moved by clever heretics. Okay? But speaking the truth in love, verse 15, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. We want to be able to speak the truth lovingly like adults in Jesus Christ. Again, he's our example. We want to be just like him. Verse 16. From whom, that's from Jesus Christ, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This is not a one-man show. This is not the Jonathan Crosby show. This is the Church of Greenville. Brother Jonathan has a very important role to play. But each and every one of us have an equally important role. His job is to teach us, to show us the pattern, Jesus Christ, and how we can be more like Him. We then learn that, absorb that lesson, and start living that life. That's what we're to do. We're to seek to use our individual gifts. I think somebody mentioned that, didn't they? In what we just said. Don't you love the way the Lord does things? There was no behind-the-scenes cooperation on anything that occurred this morning other than I asked Eric if he would lead singing this morning for us. There's no behind-the-scenes cooperation in any of this, naturally speaking. But there's a God and a Spirit who is overseeing everything that's going on in here. I hope you enjoyed the unity of everything that was said this morning. That came from the Lord. That was the Lord's blessing on us. We're looking for the same thing this afternoon for this purpose, that we can be a body of Jesus Christ in which every member is helping every member to be everything it should be for the Lord Jesus Christ. Just And he uses the example here of the body, right? You've heard this before from this pulpit. 
the fact that, you know, this thing here, this new Elysium, it's many different parts. But they all have an important role to play. You don't look at my feet. They're not that good looking, so I put shoes on them, right? But they keep me up. They move me about. Without them, I can't get where I need to go. You know? These arms here, you know, they have a particular function. This brain has a different function from the arms. But the brain can't do what the arms do. The eyes can't do what the nose does. It's the same way in this beautiful body the Lord's given us. We each have a role and a function to perform. And just like Matthew said, we ought to be looking at what can I do? What's the more I can do to add back to what the Lord wants me to do? Long introduction. I hope your hearts are set and ready to be blessed from three more men. Plus, it's our second service, so we will have a short time for where we can have some thanksgivings offered. We can offer up prayer. We can exercise what Brother Paul told us about. Prayer is important. We will exercise that in just a few minutes, asking the Lord's blessing on important things we need for our congregation. So let's enter into the Lord's worship now. At this time, great Father, we thank you so much that we have the ability to come before you at this time in our second service. Lord, be with us. Help us, Lord, that we might bring praise, glory, and honor to you by our singing, by our giving of thanks, Lord, by the things that brothers will share with us at this time, and by the us offering up our prayers before you. Lord, please accept it all as a beautiful sacrifice and that Jesus Christ would be pleased with it and that he would be lifted up and magnified in it. For it's in his glorious name we ask these things. Amen. As we come into the worship of God this afternoon, let's enter into his gates with praise and into his courts with thanksgiving. Turn in your burgundy hymn books, if you will, to number 357. Hallelujah, praise Jehovah, number 357.
Amen. You notice that in that psalm, which we just basically sang that psalm, in that psalm, young men and maidens, aged men and children small, princes, great nurse judges and all, and kings and people, were listed right in among and completing the list of all the rest of his creation. Right. But you'll note that hills and mountains and trees and all don't have a choice of whether they praise God or not. Right. God created them to do that, and that's what they do, and in doing that, they praise him. He created humans, however, with the capacity to decide not to praise him and to sin and to reject him. But let's not be that way and let's follow the example that God clearly gives in Scripture of nature and the path that they do by nature is praising Him. And we should be the same way because He's given us His nature inside us as well. So let's do that. Let's do that. Brother Newell. Being over 50, I must make sure I have my notes with me. The memory isn't what it used to be. Thank you, Brother Eric. Thank you for leading the songs this day and for your comments. Really, we've had eight speakers before us because of what Brother Eric does, and I'm very thankful for it. I know Brother Jonathan is always thankful for it as well. Friday evening, 6 p.m., we want those who are able to make it and would like to, we're going to have some singing and some fellowship to bring in the new year. Now, the next day is when the, you know, is actually the, the eve of the new year, but since it's the day before we will meet here, which will be on the first, uh, we want to take the day before, that Friday, that evening, for uh, what is normally our New Year's Eve uh, get-together. Uh, Francis and Leon have graciously uh, uh, offered to uh, help organize that. One thing is we would like to primarily put all the activities in the fellowship hall area, kind of leave this is where the, the mamas and the the, the little children, if they have to, you know, they have to, the mamas have to pull the little children in here for feeding or other things. They'll be here, so please, we'll come here into the fellowship hall starting around six o'clock. That's about the time we'll start. You can come then. You can come a little later. You can stay as long as, as you feel, uh, uh, able. And, uh, again, we'll be doing some singing. We'll be thinking about some things. We'll be fellowshipping one with another and just having a good time as a congregation. Uh, thinking about and bringing in the new year. Please bring a drink and just some food to share. If you would do that, that would be very helpful. Um, young people meeting tonight, 5 o'clock, at the Philip Crosby House. Brother Nathan will be leading them uh, in their uh, meeting tonight. So youth meeting tonight, 5 o'clock, at the Philip Crosby House. No meeting Wednesday night of this week. And uh, we'll let you know next Sunday what the plans are for the following Wednesday. Saturday, paintball uh, all day long for those who are spry and uh, uh, like that kind of uh, form of uh, entertainment. Um, primarily the youth, but uh, also anyone else who would like to participate in that. There's some Bible reading charts that are out here on the side that Brother Jeff has provided for us. There's a checkoff sheet for just your normal Bible reading, plus there's also the abbreviated sheets if you're going by the abbreviated schedule uh, throughout the year uh, and reading your Bible. Both of those are over here. Please feel free to take one or two what you need, and we can always supply more of that. Uh, that's a glorious, a wonderful thing that... This is a congregation that emphasizes the Word of God. 
And not just the Word of God as it's preached from here, but the Word of God as you read it daily. And I think somebody did say something about that, didn't they? In one of the messages we heard in the first service. The fact that we have a responsibility for knowing the Word of God ourselves. And the more you know about it, the easier your life will be. I mean, think about it. The Word of God tells you what to expect. Right? Our brother told us. He put up numerous passages. We shouldn't be. It shouldn't be surprising to us that people don't like what we believe. It shouldn't surprise us when we have relatives and those close to us. You know, there's a price to pay for the truth. And many times that's where it comes in taking the people that are in a natural sense dearest to us and having to not associate with them in certain areas because of what the Lord has set up for us to do. But we know about that. Why? Scripture tells us so. It tells us how to make that separation. It tells us that it's necessary to do. It tells us we've got a warfare to fight. It tells us, it warns us, as Brother Ed told us, that sin has consequences. So, the Word of God is a wonderful thing, brethren. It is only we who lose when we don't read it, and when we don't study it, and when we don't apply it to our lives. Well, we want to be a thankful people. The Lord is good to us. And He likes us to give thanks, not just to be thankful, but to give thanks, to open up our mouths and say, Lord, I praise your name for X thing you've done for me. Brother Nathan, if you'd like to come up for a second, and then I think Brother Bernie, if you two would like to come up and express your thanksgivings, and then I'll take a few more, just open from the congregation. Hallelujah. Praise Jehovah. I want to do that. Last week we read Psalm 76 as part of our assemblies. And a verse grabbed me, and I was already planning on speaking, but this verse really made it uh, clear to me that I needed to get up here and, and praise Jehovah. Psalm 76, verse 11 starts, Vow and pay unto the Lord your God. Let all that be round about Him bring presents unto Him that ought to be feared. The Lord God ought to be feared. And one of the reasons is because what He's done for us, the great things that He's done for us. 3,659 days ago, many of you in here met with me at Capri's on Woodruff Road to join in the marriage of Heather and myself. My hand went up for the better part of three years leading up to that marriage because I was very convicted that I wanted a godly wife after a couple of sermons that my father had preached and some comments that he'd made about asking the Lord for my mother. I'm sad to say, most of those three years, I didn't do what needed to be done to deserve a good wife, but the Lord tried me, and I pray I came out better for it. But then He did give me a wife at the end of that. And it started a string of many marriages in this church for which all I'm thankful for. I asked and the Lord answered. We heard that this morning. It's true. It works if we'll do it. I had a pleasant time this past week thinking about the hymn, Trust and Obey. It's pretty simple stuff. Trust and obey. If you'll stick to it and do it, the Lord will bless you. I'm happy to say that at this moment in Heather and mine's marriage, we're the happiest we've ever been, even from the beginning, the very first day. We are more fulfilled with each other, with our relationship with each other, with our family, with our extended family, 
And I'm, I'm very thankful for that. Amen. That's always been our, our petition that the Lord would continue to bring us closer together and closer to the Lord. And, and part with that, there were rules put forth in our courtship. And as we got married, once again, if you'll trust and obey, if you do the rules, the Lord will protect you and the Lord will give you those answers that you have, that you Amen. get to request. I have an extraordinary wife. Most of you know this because you've known her um, close to as long as you've known me. But Proverbs 31, 28 talks about, Proverbs 31 in general talks about the virtuous woman. The verse 28 says, Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Amen. She's extraordinary. She is not an average Christian by any stretch of the imagination, nor an average wife. She goes above and beyond. She always has. I believe she's got more than five talents, and she's definitely come up with more than ten. And the Lord has been merciful to me in that way. She's not here today because she practiced something that she was that we heard this morning, and she got a transferable skill, and she's helping build my estate. And I am very thankful for that. And she's doing it in a field that the Lord is going to be blessing her greatly yesterday and today with the hours that she works. Just a word to the wise. We hate the medical field in respect of having to miss some of the assemblies of the Lord, and so we need to take precautions against that, and the Lord has been merciful to help her avoid many Sundays. Right. But she's, she's not with us today because she's practicing what she knows to be right. I'm very thankful for the four kids the Lord's blessed us with. They are the perfect kids for me. The trials that I go through with them are what I deserve, and it teaches me to be thankful for what my parents had to go through. The ease at which I have with some of them is a mercy of the Lord. I'm more thankful for the four parents that I have, my parents and her parents, the example they've been to us, the help they've been to us, the encouragement they've been to us, the godly influence they've been to us. It's, it's been a wonderful marriage so far. I couldn't have asked for more not knowing what to expect. And the Lord has seen fit to answer all, the, all my petitions in this. Amen. And so I say again, hallelujah, praise Jehovah. Amen. I'm thankful to the Lord for what he's done for my wife over the last several weeks. Amen. Last Friday when she had her operation, there was a, a co-worker, that his daughter, about 25 years old, had the same operation within an hour, and her results were completely different from my wife's. My wife's was much more serious, which was a surprise to the doctor, surprise to us, but the Lord's timing is perfect, Amen. and I'm very grateful for it. Um, I'm grateful for the Lord helping me to think as uh, the doctors were asking questions or answering questions and saying what they had to because um, the week before if I hadn't opened up my mouth to a nurse and said uh, can I ask you a question now that you've had the heart catheterization the heart's fine there are similar um, there are other organs that have similar Symptoms. Why aren't you doing the gallbladder too? All right. I just said it nicely. I was just question. She turned around and says, I'm sorry, you're not happy. 
<laughs> and made a very good effort getting a hold of the surgeon. And afterwards, the well, before the heart catheterization was done, uh, after before the the gallbladder scan was done, he said that was a good idea. And afterwards, that was a good idea. <laughs> and it ends up being a really good idea. Um, I am thankful for all of your prayers. I'm thankful. We're thankful for the the cards and the flowers and the food, the phone calls. Anything else I'm forgetting. <laughs> the Lord is merciful. Amen. And as we continue our service, there's a word called Sila. That's used quite a bit in yep. the Psalms. Just think about it. We need to think about what we are taught, about what we read, and not just what's around that little word, Sila, but everything in God's Word. Amen. Which anniversary is this? Ten. I thought I wrote that down right. Tenth anniversary. We are thankful for the Lord bringing both of you together. We're thankful for the for both families that you came from, and for what an example they are and have been within our congregation. We agree wholeheartedly with your thanks for the four sets of parents that brought you two into the world and brought you two together. And we find the Lord's giving of of children very enjoyable and very enjoyable. (laughs) Those of us who know you well. Brother Bernie, I love things like that. Not only are we thankful like you said, one little word. That's all it took. You'd surprise these folks should know what they're doing. And I don't mean to denigrate them. But the best of the doctors, they're practicing physicians. That's what they call themselves. They're practicing. They don't know everything. And very apropos that one little comment you made and the trail of activity that started that led to deliverance just in time for our sister. And that was... Was that just a happenstance? Was that just, you know, a lucky thing? No, that's the Lord. That was the Lord having our brother to ask a very simple, respectful question and how it took care of that circumstance. We're glad that she's better and healing. And I love a Thanksgiving that ends up by saying that we need to be thoughtful of God's Word, of every aspect in our life. Is that the ninth man now that we've had who's exhorted us or given us something? Well, let's go to the Lord then in prayer. Our most gracious Father in heaven, as I look down at this list of thanksgivings, I know it could be multiplied out a hundred times. So, Lord, take this as a mere token of the great thanksgivings and the great wonder that we have and joy we have, Lord, at being your people and at the thinking about the things you've done for us. Lord, we're thankful for the 10th anniversary of bringing Nathan and Heather together. 
We're thankful, Lord, for the children that you've given them. We're thankful for the godly heritage that they represent and the parents who brought them into this world, who taught them and trained them so that they are the godly couple that they are this day. We're thankful, Lord, for working in the life of our sister Jennifer and using the the comments from our brother Bernie to help make sure that she was taken care of and on a timely basis. We're thankful, Lord, to be in a congregation where you've taught us how we should love and care for one another. And you heard our brother's thanksgivings for the flowers, the cards, the food, the attention. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity to be able to show such love to brothers and sisters because of the love that you've put in our hearts and based on the love that you had for us in sending your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. And Lord, I especially thank you for his spiritual comment at the end there about how we should be thinking about your word. Lord, here he is thanking you for carnal blessings and he's wanting to exhort us spiritually. I thank you, Lord, for being in a congregation where we have men like that. I thank, we thank you, Lord, as Zach has done, that you are the great physician. You give us strength, those of us who are healthy, Lord, to take care of those who are ill. And you're the one who supplies health and strengthening to those who are ill. Lord, we're thankful for the beautiful weather that you've given. Brother Charlie is thankful for it. His livelihood depends on it. Another brother I know I heard earlier was thankful for the reduced power bills, Lord, and having to pay that. Another kindness from you, Father. We're also very thankful, as our brother said, from deliverance from the insanity of the spirit that is in the world at this time of year. Truly, Lord, it is a spirit. It's a false spirit, and we're thankful for being delivered from it. Lord, we're thankful, very thankful for our pastor. Lord, you didn't just give us a man of God. You gave us a man who is diligent in the things of God. Lord, you gave us a man who labors in the word and doctrine, so he's worthy of double honor. Father, bless him with rest and refreshment. Lord, guide his thoughts. Help him, Lord, show him ways by which his task can be made lighter. Help us, Lord, that we might be obedient, good souls, good children of yours. For we know, Lord, that when we do that, that eases his burden. Help us, Lord. Bless him for his investments in us. And again, Lord, we offer up great thanksgivings for all the truth that you have shown us through him. Father, We're so very thankful that we're in a body that fears you and loves one another. We're thankful, Lord, that that's your nature. That you're a loving, good, kind, benevolent God. And you've shared your nature with us. We thank you, Lord, that we do have the brothers and sisters that are in this congregation to encourage us, to exhort us, and to help us, Lord, in the pilgrimage we have in this life. We're thankful, Lord, for how you've given us all employment and watched over it. Especially, we're thankful for Daniel Jones' job, Lord, and for his company. Lord, it's one thing to have a company that provides for your carnal sustenance. It's another one that makes a spiritual statement like his company does. We're thankful for it, Lord, and ask your blessing upon that company and the local Chick-fil-A's that he works for, Lord, that they would be successful for the sake of our brother. And for this testimony that these 
men have taken in this company. Lord, we're thankful for the congregation you've given us. We're thankful for men that are able to exhort one another, to encourage one another from your word. Men who have taken your word seriously, Lord, and attempt to live by it. And Father, we're thankful for the help that you provide all of us when we need it, especially our brother Eric in a very difficult situation that he was given at work. We're thankful, Lord, that he was able to accomplish it well. And the fact that he's giving you the praise for it, Lord. Father, all these things encourage our hearts and help us to bring our petitions before you, Lord, knowing that you're a kind Father and that you hear and you supply the things we need, just as our brother exhorted us this morning. Father, we ask that you would be with the Pipkin family, with the illness that's there, ask that you would grant them strengthening and healing. We ask the same thing for our brother Jerry and our sister Deborah, that you'd grant them strength and healing as well. Lord, we think of our sister Mary and her recovery from her surgery, our sister Jennifer, her recovering from her surgery, our sister Deborah, not just ill, but also recovering from a surgery, Lord. We ask your blessing upon all of these circumstances. Again, though, Lord, it's so good knowing you are the great physician. You designed us. You gave wisdom to men to be able to take care of these circumstances. But, Lord, we trust in you. We trust in you to take these means and make them effective for our benefit. Lord, we're thankful that you brought Ahold and Bilo into Stephen Eastland's life. And we just ask, Lord, that this new purchase that Bilo has made coming back from the, the brink of bankruptcy now to purchasing another company. Lord, we ask that this would be a blessing for him and his family and for any others who work for that company. Lord, our sister Patricia, her family is coming here in the next week. We ask, Lord, that it would be a blessing, especially, Lord, that you would give opportunity for them to see the difference involved in the members of this congregation and that it would be that which would, Lord, spark questions that our brother and sister can answer for them that would lead to an increase of trust in you and belief in your truth, Lord within her family. Lord, Brother Michael, we're thankful for granting Michael a, a, an opportunity to fulfill his desire to be a doctor. Lord, there's yet details to be worked out. These can be very trying to us, Father. We ask that you would quickly smooth the pathway, open up the door that's going to be most beneficial for this young man and close the doors that won't be so that he would have this opportunity, Father, and grant him success at it. Father, we ask that you would help us to be confirmed in the truth. Lord, we didn't want this truth naturally. We hated it. But you and your goodness and your kindness overruled our will and made us your children. Lord, we want to follow you, but we recognize our weakness, and we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us so that we would hold fast to the truth. Lord, we know that heresies you've told us will come so that we can manifest who truly are your children and who truly want to serve you. So, Lord, help us that we might hold firm and stand firm for the truth of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we ask that you would help us that we wouldn't be bare Christians. Lord, we don't want to be those who are saved yet as by fire. We want to be those, Lord, who take 
the abilities that you give us and we invest them wisely for your glory and honor. Father, we want to be those that on that great day of judgment, when all the deeds of men will be made manifest, that, Lord, that there will be enough good things that we have done that you would look at us and say those blessed words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We won't be worthy of it, Lord. We can tell you that now. But we beg you that you would help us to strive to be those people and to be exceptional Christians in this world. Lord, bless us in the rest of this service that everything that's said and done would be to the praise and the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. We have three men this afternoon. Brother Daniel Crosby will be coming after another song from Brother Eric. I'll be coming after that. Then Brother Jonathan Carnell will round us out this afternoon. Again, I hope you've prayed for this. I hope you're ready. Your hearts are prepared to receive what you've, what you will hear. The Lord has given us much already this day. May we continue to be that good ground that bring forth, brings forth much fruit for the glory of the Lord. Amen. Brother Eric? Let's sing a song out of our Burgundy hymn books. Again, let's sing number 293. 293, Joy Unspeakable. If you'd like, let's all stand together and sing 293 before Daniel comes. I have found His grace is
Amen. Please be seated. Daniel. If you will, open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to spend a few minutes talking with you about something the Lord has laid on my heart that has convicted me over the last couple of months. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 14 and 15. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. There are three main reasons I want to talk to you about bitterness today. The first is that it is easy to go unnoticed when it's first taking root in someone's heart. We believe that every word of God is pure, and I believe there is a specific reason why he says it's a root of bitterness. It's not easy to see from the surface. Someone has to diligently be looking because it's it's hidden in there without much obvious signs until it becomes sometimes too late. The second reason I want to talk about bitterness is that many different sins have a core with bitterness in their hearts. Things such as revenge, hatred, envy, covetousness, cursing, anger, criticism, and trouble are, are just a tip of the iceberg of sins that can develop from not getting rid of bitterness in your heart. Amen. The third reason is that bitterness is unlike some sins in that it is not between you and God. If we look back at the verses, it says, and thereby many be defiled. If you allow bitterness into your heart and you allow it to spring out, it's not going to just take you down. It can take a marriage, your family, or an entire church if it is not dealt with properly. Well, where does this problem come from? If you will, turn with me to James chapter 4, where our brother is going to give us a pretty good indication of where this wickedness comes from. James chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 1 and 5. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? In verse 5, do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? James is telling us right here that it is in our core of our sinful man that all we want to do is lust and fight with one another. Well, what does this bitterness look like? Bitterness will hold faults and offenses in your heart and will wait for the most inopportune time and it will spring up and the damage can be catastrophic. Bitterness will look for and actually rejoice in others, in others' faults because, as the saying goes, misery loves company. If they're going to be bitter, they want someone else to feel the same pain they have. And the thing about bitterness that scares me probably the most is that bitterness is not going to sit and not grow in your heart. Bitterness will actually look for other things that have happened in your past to feed on those to grow and grow and grow until it will spring up and and damage can be done. Well, what does bitterness look like? The easiest and first sign of bitterness popping out is listening to someone speak. The, a, a bitter heart will have a discontented, sarcastic, negative, or self-righteous tongue. And it's pretty obvious to see because the Bible tells us that out of the issues of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Right. So you can listen to someone talk, and within a couple of minutes, you're going to realize there's something not right. Well, what does the Bible have to say about bitterness? Turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 4, where our beloved apostle will give us some things we should replace bitterness with. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. He's telling us right there that if we're bitter, if we have anger in our heart, we're doing the opposite of what the Lord Jesus did. God sent his own son to die for us. Therefore, we should be forgiving one another, doing the exact opposite of holding bitterness. James will tell us one chapter later in chapter 5, Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth at the door. The Almighty Lord is looking what you're going to, looking and wanting to see how you're going to respond to things in your heart. And He's waiting. And that verse should cause us to reflect on what's in there. Our Lord Jesus Christ said on the Sermon on the Mount, Ye have heard that it was said of, by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Right. Well, I'm not really worried about bitterness in here actually causing anybody to go kill somebody, but He doesn't stop there. Right. He goes on to say, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. We're going to find out, I'm going to talk about in just a minute. We have one of two options when we get offended. If we're a glorious man, we're going to overlook it. If we're not, there's something that can be done for that. But you have to do one or the other. You can't let it sit there or else we're going to be guilty of the breaking of the sixth commandment, which is murder. So far we looked at what bitterness is. We've looked at where it comes from and the symptoms of it. And we've also looked at what the Lord has to say about it. Now I want to give you a cure and thank you, Lord, for putting this in your word. Amen. Please turn with me back to James, to chapter 4 this time. And we're going to start at verse 6. James 4, verse 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith... God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Amen. If we're children of God, which I believe everybody in this room is, we cannot hold bitterness in our heart. We need to draw nigh to God and have one mind. The one mind is to be forgiving and to love one another, as we read in Ephesians. It shouldn't be holding bitterness. We can't do one or the other. We've got to make a choice, and we need to have a singleness of mind to draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to us and reduce bitterness in our heart. Right. We also need to, while at the same time, we need to have David's prayer, which he had in Psalm 139, "'Search me, O God,' And know my heart, try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And I'm going to go one step further and say, there needs to be a specific prayer. Lord, do not let a root of bitterness start in my heart. Make it a very specific thing. You don't want to even begin it. Right. And the Lord will answer that prayer request. And then, after you confess your sin to God, you need to repudiate it. Job said, <clears throat> excuse me, that I perverted that which is right, and it profiteth me not. You must learn to hate bitterness. That is the cure in how we can get ourselves right with God, but we have a responsibility to each other. If we're bitter one to another, there's things we, we can do. First thing I would suggest is pray for your brothers and sisters in this church that you've been bitter against. We should be praying for one another regardless, but especially if for some reason there's bitterness in your hearts to them. If you can replace that bitterness with a prayer every day, you'll be amazed how much that can help. 
You can replace the bitterness with doing some service. Have them over. Give them a phone call and say, just how are you doing? If you are able to do that with a, con- a clear conscience, it will reduce the bitterness in your heart towards this brother. That's if those two solutions are if you've already let bitterness in there. But I want to talk, and the part that I'm most convicted about is how can we avoid letting bitterness in our heart in the first place? Proverbs 19, we know, is the glorious man will pass over a transgression. And I wish I could say I was the glorious man could always do that. But that's unfortunately not always going to happen. But the Lord gives us another way. And in Matthew 18, he gives us an example of going and actually confronting the brother to get it out there. I want, I want to share what the Lord has put in my heart. You have to do one or the other. Right. Do not let it sit there. If you can pass over it, the Lord's going to be blessed, and the Lord, you are a glorious man. But if you can't do that, then go and talk about it. Bring it up. Talk to this brother who's taking your parking space out front. That's essentially what it is because in comparison to what we've done to the Lord, no, nothing matters. Right. So you, you have to forget it or talk to them. Do not right. let it sit. As soon as it sits, it, very soon it's going to build up and build up, and then it's going to spring up, and you can be in an amount of trouble that is unimaginable, and we've seen it happen before. No one likes to confront anybody. No one likes to be confronted, but it has to be done. So I beg you and encourage you that if you, if you cannot overlook something, go to that brother. Right. And the Lord will bless you for your effort because you are doing something about it instead of letting it fester in your heart. The Lord has convicted me of this. I hope that you will with me hate bitterness, hate the bitter, and do what we should by either overlooking it or bringing it up and getting it out there in the open. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Brother Zach. I'm sure you're not bitter against me. He already had volunteered knowing that Jerry wouldn't be able to make it. To pull the slot, the slot this afternoon. Thank you for smiling at me and being a, an attentive listener. I'm being a little facetious, but I treasure every opportunity I have to thank my Lord and to say something on his behalf. And I know that brother has the same thing because Jerry had called me yesterday afternoon to say that he wasn't feeling well. He had a slight temperature. Deborah wasn't doing well and he probably wouldn't make it today. It wasn't an hour later where two good friends had been talking and I get a good, and I get a phone call from Brother Zach saying that I, I'm ready. You, you, you're the one who's going to decide, but you know, I've got a couple things on my mind. And I'm ready to say, you know, if you need me, you need the help. Brethren, it's wonderful to have a congregation like that. Amen. It is wonderful to have a congregation where there's brothers, a young brother, younger brother, <laughs> who's ready to jump forward and do things like that. I would like us to look at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7. Something that I put, something that somebody, I should say, put in a thought recently. I'd like to talk about it just for a second. I don't want to take it be long. I want it to be simple. I'm finally at the time in life to where I guess I could say that I've seen a bit of life. I'm 56 years old. You know, four more years, and by Scripture's definition, I can be considered old. Sixty, I think, is the the biblical guidelines. After that, you can be considered old, okay? So uh, bear with me a second uh, with that. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, 
considering the end of their conversation. Very encouraged when I wrote some things along those lines, and a young brother, who will be hearing shortly, sent an email to me saying how much he appreciated it and how much he liked hearing things like that. The Lord has given us so much in his word. The Lord has taken care of us so well. If you understand this book and what's behind it, we've got a from cradle to grave system of blessing that the Lord's provided us. You heard what I opened up the first service with, the next passage that we opened up this service with. This is part of it. Do you want an easy life? Do you want a good life? I got a piece of advice for you. Follow God's ordained authority structures. We as Americans are cursed. We are a nation that's filled with people who think that they ought to be telling whoever's in charge what they ought to do. Brethren, we have to get that out of our heads. We have to get that out of our DNA as a nation and humble ourselves and recognize that we don't know everything. And God has chosen, he's picked out individuals at different levels of authority to help us out, to be a blessing to us. The particular one here is a pastor. Notice it says, remember those which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God. He just defined who has the rule over us, those who speak the word of God. That's why, by the way, we're not Presbyterians. We don't believe that there's a dichotomy between a teaching elder and a ruling elder. We believe that there's a bishop, and the bishop rules by teaching. He teaches us God's word. We've already talked about, it's been mentioned, what a blessing we have in this congregation. But brethren, I'm here to tell you, whatever and wherever you may be, Whatever authority structure God's put you under, especially in this role, be obedient to it. That person is given the ability, first of all, to read Scripture. I know we hate to hear that, but folks, we are all dumb as dirt. We don't know what we ought to do at times. God's given certain men who understand a little bit of something. And the more they give themselves to it, the more they understand. And let me tell you, by this time in life, The brother we have has a wealth of material the Lord has given him and that he has applied himself to over time. So my word is, you want a fast breaking? Go against what he's saying. You want to be broken hard? Go against a man like that. Because he's not a Johnny-come-lately. He's been in the Word. Now, do you have something you think is different where maybe he's missed the mark and we've missed the mark? There's nothing wrong with that. There's a way of taking care of that. You go to him and you talk to him about it. You lay out your verses of Scripture. You lay out why you think that this truth you've been given supersedes what we've been taught. And I'm not being facetious right now. I'm being very truthful. It could be we're missing something and you have it. But there's a God-ordained way of handling that. And that God-ordained way is you go to the man who does know better and you say, Brother, maybe we're missing the boat on this point. Could you look at it? And again, I don't care who your minister is. That's God's way of doing things. 
Because what does it tell us here? It tells us whose faith follow. Brethren, let me tell you, I've got an easy life. There's a lot of things I don't need to worry about, I don't need to think about. I need to check and see when my pastor preaches. Is he preaching me God's word? Huh? If it is, that settles it, right? I don't need anything else. If he has, if he's missing it, well, maybe I'm the one missing it, so I need to study it out. But if I can look at a passage of scripture and see the interpretation given to me is according to what, I mean, that fits with the rest of scripture, I don't need to think about it anymore. I need to implement it. I don't need to think, I need to implement. Too many times, people, we want to think about things we ought to be implementing. There's all too much stuff we already know to do. Why aren't we doing it? We don't need to find something new. We need to do what we already know. And in this case, if my pastor comes up with something different, I need to question myself first because am I in his office? No. Well, who put him in that office? Did he just kind of like vote himself in? No, God put him there. See, it's always amazed me how these people come come up with these wonderful revelations and they're ignoring what they've already been taught and shown by God in His Word. Why is that brother in the office, why, why do we expect him here most of the time? Because God's put him there. And we've seen the evidence of that, haven't we? That's why we submit to him. We see him teaching God's Word and we obey it. Why suddenly should I think that God has just overthrown his own order of doing things? In my case, that's not much humility, which I see taught in Scripture, you know. And I've seen Brother Jonathan oftentimes, you know, say, hey, wait, you know what? We believe something wrong. Here's the multitude of evidence that's convinced me of it that we're wrong, and that's why we're changing. And that's a hint. You want to come and make a change? Bring that, as he calls it, that tsunami. Bring that overwhelming flood of evidence that shows that something's wrong. Brethren, if you're talking about, well, I got this one verse, or what kills me, pardon me, you know, we're brothers here and sisters, right? It just kills me when I hear about people that leave us. Well, I just don't think that's right. Excuse me, who are you? I mean, you should be saying that about me. Who are you, Newell, to have a private opinion that goes against God's Word? Right. Well, who are you to go against with your private opinion? No, brethren. You want a good life? Study diligently what our pastor teaches us. Prove it out. Be like the noble Bereans. They searched the Scriptures daily to prove Paul, an inspired apostle. But what did they do as soon as they heard it? Did they then want to start studying something new and different so they could get beyond Paul? No. They implemented what Paul taught them. That's the pattern, brethren. That's the pattern. You want a good life, young man or young woman? Learn this book. And learn it along the lines of what our pastor is teaching us. Because he's the one who's charged. What does it say here? Considering the end of their conversation. What is the end of our brother's conversation? What's a conversation? It's not what he's speaking here. It's his life. What's the end of that? He's going to be judged by God. And any of us who's ever talked with our brother knows that. He understands. I was talking with Brother Tim just a few before this service started. At 56, I suddenly realized what awaits on me. You know, I'm responsible for that sweet sister over there, and I have been for years. 
And between the two of us and the Lord's blessing, we've got three others in this world, in this room, who we brought into life. We, and I mean, they're ours until, even until the day we die. We're responsible for them. And I, as the man in God's order, am responsible for teaching them, for being an example to them. That's weighty. I'll answer for the New Eastland family and for any inconsistencies and improprieties that are in the life of my myself, my wife, or my children. Well, Brother Jonathan has that for his family, which is rather extended, and all of us. So he doesn't take things lightly. He understands. He's got to give an answer for what's going to happen at the end of life, for what he's done with his ministry here. Don't you think he deserves a little consideration? A little what they what do they call it? The benefit of the doubt. If I've got a doubt in a matter, where am I? Where is my? Where am I going to come down on that matter? I'm going to come down on the side of my pastor because he's the one who's responsible to God, not me for directing this congregation. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Turn, if you will, to Joshua 22. Every word of God is pure, and we're going to jump into a chapter that you may not have been to recently. It's kind of an obscure story, but we're going to look into it and find a few practical points that... I hope you'll find beneficial. Amen. So the setting of Joshua 22, uh, if you back up a few verses into 21, you have some of the best words in Scripture proving that Israel got all of the land that the Lord (laughs) promised them. Amen. So now we're done with all of the conquering of Canaan. And if you remember, um, Gad and Reuben and half the tribe of Manasseh preferred the, the land on the west side of Jordan. So they've gone back there, and Joshua is blessing them and sending them there. And we have this little event here. It's a potentially deadly conflict between the ten tribes and the two and a half tribes over a misunderstanding. And they didn't realize it was a misunderstanding until the end. And I just want to look through this and see if we can find some Good practical points on how to deal with situations like that. Amen. So, um, starting at the beginning here, in the first verses, 1 through 9, uh, this is what I mentioned. Joshua commends Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh for keeping the oath uh, when they first got permission from Moses to get the land on the west side of, or the east side of Jordan, rather. Uh, Moses said, that's okay as long as you go with your brethren to conquer the rest of Canaan before you go home. So verses 1 through 9, Joshua blesses them and sends them back to their land. Verses 10 through 12, we find here that the two and a half tribes build a great altar beside Jordan at the passage of uh, where the children of Israel passed over Jordan to go into Canaan. They build a huge altar there. So what happens here is the other ten tribes notice the altar, and as you uh, can understand, they assume that it's for offering sacrifices on, because that's normally what altars are for, right? So whether that was a duplicate altar for God's religion 
or whether it was an altar to a pagan god, it didn't make any difference. They weren't supposed to do either one. You're supposed to have only the altar beside the tabernacle. So the other ten tribes notice this problem, and they confer on it. So they know this is a problem, and they, in verse 12, prepare to go to war with the two and a half tribes. Verse 13. Now, if you have this problem, before you look ahead, and don't answer if you already know the story, but if you had this kind of a conflict at this period of time in Israel, who would you want to send to confront the offending tribes? I'll give you a hint. He stood up and executed judgment at one point in the past. I find that really interesting that uh, they have a very strategic choice and who they send to head up this confrontation with the other two and a half tribes. So they, right. they send Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest. And this is an interesting little lesson for us. If you're a young man, um, this is an interesting point. Accomplishment may get you appointed for bigger jobs in the future. Mm-hmm. So in verses 10 through 14... The ten tribes of Israel send a head from each tribe, and they send Phinehas in front of them to go confront the two and a half tribes who have built this altar. In, uh, in verses 15 and 16, Phinehas comes to the forefront with a pretty strong accusation. I'll read verse 16 for you. Thus saith the whole congregation of the Lord, What trespass is this that ye have committed against the God of Israel, to turn away this day from following the Lord, and that ye have builded you an altar, that ye might rebel this day against the Lord. It's a pretty strong accusation. So here's another really interesting lesson. If you're in a position of leadership and the stakes are really high, like somebody under your authority is committing idolatry, supposedly, sometimes it might be a good idea to play hardball. So here comes Phinehas with a really weighty accusation. He doesn't know all the facts, as we're about to discover later, but uh, nevertheless, he gets to the bottom of the situation in a matter of seconds or minutes rather than hours of meetings. If you remember back to uh, Numbers 32, Moses had the same response to the same people when they first asked him for the land on the east side of Jordan. Moses' first response, I'll just read to you Numbers 32, 14, Wherefore discourage ye the heart of the people? He's, you know, Their fathers just were killed, every single one of them, except Joshua and Caleb, in the wilderness for not wanting to go over Jordan. And now here's two and a half tribes that also don't want to go over Jordan. So Moses needs to make sure that there's a really good reason that they don't want to go, and it's not because they want to discourage the heart of the people from inheriting the land the Lord gave them. Right. And behold, ye are risen up in your father's stead, an increase of sinful men to augment yet the fierce angle of anger of the Lord toward Israel. This is Moses' accusation to the two and a half tribes for wanting the east land. Um, if If you went on at that same passage, you'd find out that the two and a half tribes had a very soft answer to Moses' accusation, and therefore they got what they requested. And we'll get to that in a few minutes too. 
verses 17 through 20. Next, after the initial accusation, Phinehas moves on to reason inductively from two recent historical events in the nation. He reasons, his major premise here is that the actions of the two and a half tribes are going to bring the Lord's wrath on the whole congregation. And he cites two examples for that. First, the iniquity of Baal Peor. This is where Phinehas became famous. It's the instance where the nation was committing fornication with a foreign nation, and Phinehas stood up and executed judgment, which stayed the plague. However, we learn here that they still weren't completely over it. Is the iniquity of Peor too little for us? I'm in verse 17. From which we are not cleansed until this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord, but that ye must turn away this day from following the Lord. And it will be, seeing ye rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be wroth with the whole congregation of Israel. Now it goes to a second example, which is Achan. Verse 20. Did not Achan the son of Zerah commit a trespass in the accursed thing? And wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel. And that man perished not alone in his iniquity. Here's another little interesting lesson. Sometimes your sinful actions might cause wrath on people around you. We serve a holy God. And the the lesson from this is, one, you need to be concerned about the consequences of, of your actions on others. And two, we need to take care of sin in our midst to purge out the old leaven such that the Lord doesn't execute his wrath on all of us. So who else died beside Achan? His sons and daughters and 36 soldiers that were innocent of his transgression. 1 Corinthians 5, that's where the the statement came from that I just mentioned. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. In that context, Paul is saying you need to purge out the old leaven. Okay, let's move on. Now, if you were falsely accused like this, remember, I haven't gone to this part of the story yet, but actually this is a false accusation. The two and a half tribes were not going to sacrifice on this altar. This was just a model altar as a witness between the ten tribes and the two and a half tribes that only the Lord was God and that their children were only going to serve him and Jordan was not going to divide them religiously. That's what this was for. So if you are falsely accused, if if that happens to you from time to time, what's your reaction? Is it wrath? Is it resentment against the person in authority that's falsely accused you? Just listen to this answer and see if you can gain some wisdom from it, if that's your tendency. Verse 21, Joshua 22. The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knoweth, and Israel he shall know, if it be in rebellion... Or if in transgression against the Lord, save us not this day, that we have built an altar to turn from following the Lord, or if to offer thereon burnt offering or meat offering, or if to offer peace offerings thereon, let the Lord himself require it. And if we have not rather done it for fear of this thing, saying, In time to come your children might speak unto our children, saying, What have ye to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord hath made Jordan a border between us and you, ye children of Reuben and children of Gad, ye have no part in the Lord. So shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. Right. If we skip down verse 29, God forbid that we should rebel against the Lord and turn this day from following the Lord. 
to build an altar for burnt offerings or for meat offerings or for sacrifices beside the altar of the Lord our God that is before his tabernacle. This is a, a wise lesson here, just a lesson of wisdom for you. If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place, for, pacif- for yielding pacifieth great offenses. Amen. This is the best approach when you're falsely accused. There is no anger, defensiveness, pride, or counter-accusations by the two and a half tribes here. Just a humble, pacifying, thorough summary of the facts, including calling God to record for the truth of their words and their loyalty to him. Moving on to verse 30. And here's another lesson for us. When Phinehas and the heads of the ten tribes heard this, it pleased them. They returned peacefully and brought word to the rest of Israel who had been prepared for war. And the thing pleased the children of Israel, and the children of Israel blessed God and did not intend to go up against them in battle to destroy the land wherein the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. That was verse 33. Here's another lesson. We learn a little more about the character of Phinehas. If you only knew about his performance in Numbers 25, um, then you might think he, was, he could have been a little bit rash. In that case, it was the right thing for him to stand up when everybody else was doing nothing and take up his javelin, which priests normally didn't carry, and go kill these two sinners. Right. In other cases, he might have been rash to do something like that. So you might think him to be a little rash. In this case, we find out he's not. Amen. So he comes here, and he has a strong accusation, as we discussed, but he does put it in a form of a question, and he does wait for their response before deciding his next actions. So... He's heard the answer here, and where he was fiercely angry and ready to go to war and ready to execute judgment again, after hearing the answer and getting filled in on all the facts, he quickly drops it, and it pleases him, and he's glad to drop it. So he brings word back to the rest of Israel, and they're happy to drop it. They're like, oh, well, that was actually a good idea. We're happy that they took it upon themselves to do this. Right. So this demonstrates part of the difference between justified and unjustified anger. So Phinehas and the ten tribes were justified if what they thought was true was actually true. They would have been doing the right thing to execute judgment on the two and a half tribes for turning away from the Lord. Um, But, as I mentioned, when they figured out that wasn't the case, they dropped it immediately. So they didn't just want to fight. Verse 34 rounds up the chapter. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar Ed, for it shall be a witness between us that the Lord is God. Hope some of these lessons of wisdom are beneficial to you. Amen. 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 I love that. See, brethren, you can get instruction from any part of Scripture. Wise instruction. And as I started out this morning by saying... The Lord, to me, has just blessed us richly today with seven, eight, nine, however many you want to count, men that have spoken, different perspectives, but the same God and the same message. I love that. 
thinking through and wisely considering things. That's part of what it means to be an exceptional Christian, that you don't just react. You react based on facts and Scripture. Brother Eric, do you have a closing hymn for us? If you'd like to come lead us in that. Let's open our Burgundy hymn books for one final hymn. We'll, we'll sing number 37. Praise Him, praise Him. Tell of His excellent greatness. Amen. Number 37. Stand with me if you will. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Sing all of His wonderful love proclaim. Hail Him, hail Him, highest archangels in glory. Strength and honor give to His holy name. Like a shepherd, Jesus will guard His